lives. One of the things that happened the last week, we also went to the Solus Conference, and that was in Northern Ireland. They oh had scheduled, scheduled that when there was peace and the troubles were not active. But by the time the conference came around, the troubles were back again. And when we got there, we stayed in the most bombed hotel in the world at that time. And it was amazing. They had helicopters in the air, just stationary. They could then tell when a bomb went off or something happened, they could identify where it was so that the troops could respond immediately. It was outside of the range of their weapons, the, the IRA uh, weapons. And two, two police officers were assassinated while we were there coming out of the police station. And if you took your car on a road, they would stop you and then check under your car for bombs with mirrors before you could go on. It was a different environment up there, uh, but it was interesting I mean, hmm. for us. Today, I bring you Peter Marshall. Peter has a long and distinguished career as a city manager and consultant to local governments. Most notably, he was city manager at State College Pennsylvania for many years, and before that, Newark, Delaware. Peter and I have had many conversations over the years. We have competed for the same projects, and sometimes he would get it and sometimes I would. Finally, we just decided to work together. Peter has so much to say about the field of city management, but I bring to you today perhaps my favorite conversation, and that is about his travels to other parts of the world to meet with other city managers and teach. That is what this episode is about. If you want to know more about Peter's background, check out the show notes. So without further ado, here is Peter Marshall. So I think the first question I want to ask you, Peter, is whether you were instilled with the love of travel when you were young, before you ever really began city management? Good question. I was born and raised in a family that did not have a lot of money. Uh, the only travel that we did, and we took vacations every year, but uh, I think one time we went to New England and one time we went to Erie and one time we went to New York. But most of the time, we stayed in Pennsylvania and uh, did not go anywhere outside of the United States and rarely went outside of Pennsylvania. And did you travel by car? Did you have a... Yes. Did, how many siblings did you have? At that time, the most I had was two. Okay. We have three, but one, my brother was older and he was doing other things. So, yeah. And my sister was older. We might have taken a trip or two with the two of us, but mostly it was just me mm -hmm. and my parents. And at that time, just sitting out on the highway probably was a little different from today, I could imagine. What kind of car were you driving in as you're going these distances on your family vacation? Nothing new, I can tell you that. Yeah, that's great. And you stayed in hotels or motels probably at that time. Cabins. In New York, we stayed in a college dormitory. It was in the summer 
and there was no students. So they were pretty careful about what we spent. So I didn't have any experience at all. But could you say that the travel bug bit you or did that happen No, later? I'll tell you the story about when that started. Okay. If you're interested. I'd love to hear that story. Okay. I was manager nine years in uh, Newark, Delaware. Mm-hmm. And of course, I had no idea of that I would have any opportunity to travel. And at that time, ICMA put out a newsletter, which was really very good. And, and I was looking at the newsletter and it had an advertisement from South Australia. And it said three months visitorship in March, April, May night, looking for someone with municipal manager experience who would teach in the undergraduate and graduate programs, paid $10,000 in airfare plus vehicle accommodations uh, and all inter-Australian transportation. I didn't pay any attention to it, but a couple days later, I got a call from a professor at the University of Delaware, and he said that there's an Australian manager who is visiting, and he wondered if he could come over for an hour and talk about management in the United States and local government in the United States. And the next morning, I got a call from Bob Langman, who is the the manager from Australia, and he said the professor had a heart attack overnight, but could he come over and meet with me? So he came over and we spent most of the day together, really nice guy. And after that, I, the next newsletter came out and the advertisement was in again. And I said, okay, I'm going to send a letter. There's very little likelihood that will produce anything, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I had met an Australian. I didn't know squat about Australia or anywhere else at that point. So I sent it in and uh, didn't hear anything for several months. And I was uh, in Kansas City at an ICMA conference. And I got a call. I was getting ready for bed. Got a call about 11 o'clock. It was my wife. She said, two guys from Australia called. And I gave him your hotel. 10 minutes later, I got a call. Someone from the South Australian Ministry of Local Government and someone from the University of South Australia. And we talked for about a half an hour. They asked me questions. And they had a consultant in the United States going through. There were 170 applications. And they were sending 20 of them to Australia for vetting and for a decision. And I was one of 20. I hadn't told anybody that I even sent a letter in. So I decided when I got back, I should at least tell the mayor. And I told the mayor and he didn't have any reaction one way or the other. And about three weeks later, I got another call from the same two individuals. And they said that I was one of three that were being considered. That was a big surprise. I decided I'd better tell the council what I had done at least. And at an executive session, I told them what I had done and I was one of three being considered and they didn't react one way or the other, but I told them. A couple of days later, they called and told me that I was selected. So at a and this was a three-month 
term. And that was a long time. And in talking with my wife at that time, we decided that we needed to all of us go. And um, I met with the council in a public meeting and announced uh, that I had been chosen. And I asked to be released for three months. And I asked to be paid during that time as a training experience. And they passed it. They agreed. We were now going to Australia for three months. One of the things I did, luckily, at that time, was I took a lot of slides of all of our operations, of our facilities, Newark, Delaware. I had a lot of slides, and that turned out to be pretty important. So we went to L.A. We flew to L.A. and got on Qantas. And we were, it's a long trip. We would decide we were going to stop at Tahiti for a few days. We got to Tahiti and realized that the gifts that I had put together for uh, the head of the university, for the mayor of Adelaide, for the minister of local government, I had left them at the Qantas desk. So I called and that was a great start. I called Qantas and they said they'd look for it. So we got to Tahiti and spent the days and then got Qantas. And I mentioned one thing that was really nice. The Qantas flight that we took from the United States to Tahiti was only about a quarter full. And we were flying at night and we the center aisle was five seats deep. And we were able to put the alarms on and actually rest. Yeah. Um, my kids went to sleep. So that worked out nicely. Anyway, we got to, flew to Melbourne. And when we walked into the, the uh, place where the baggage goes around, I, I saw my bag. So they had found it and they sent it. So we got that, that, that was over. So we had a reception. I should say we took a overnight train to Adelaide and we were met by the two individuals who had been talking to me all that time. And we, they showed us our accommodations. We had accommodations at that time at the beach. There was nothing right in town. It was, we were at North Adelaide and we were there for a couple of weeks until they got accommodations at the university. And we went to a reception at the Adelaide City Hall with the Lord Mayor, and we went to a reception university by the head of the university and the minister of uh, local government from the state. And they told me that I was scheduled. They had already booked seven different areas of Australia, and Australia is three times bigger than Texas. A lot of it is outback, but three times bigger. And they had booked seven different areas where I was going to present. And I was going to either fly. If I flew, they had a private plane fly me. And if we drove, I had somebody that uh, came with me that worked for the local government. And I was supposed to go in the afternoon to these seven places, one at a time, obviously, uh, and at, go to dinner with elected council members and then present to them 
from seven o'clock to nine o'clock, speak to them about whatever I was going to speak to them. And then the next day from nine o'clock in the morning to four o'clock in the afternoon, I was supposed to put on a seminar. I had a week to do this and I used the slides and I had taught at the University of Delaware. So I knew how to get participation. Uh, and we went to the first one and, and I did it and it was a great success. And luckily, uh, I could do the same thing at each of the seven locations. So that worked really well. They wanted me to present on steps, cost-saving steps for local governments in the face of reduced local government revenue. Uh -huh. And I had done a bunch of things in Newark to do that. And that worked out very well for me. Can you describe the setting? Was it a informal or a formal classroom setting? There was no classroom. I did teach graduate every week. I taught two days, graduate and undergraduate courses, but three days I did this travel and presentations. And usually we had dinner with the council members in a hotel or a restaurant, depending on where we were. And then we usually met at a, maybe the council chambers of a local municipality, and that's where I presented. That's, that was really what we did. And I presented different sections, different areas of South Australia, including Kangaroo Island and out in the outback. Uh, had really great experiences. Do you remember just some of the types of questions or Anything that surprised you in the reaction to your presentation? I was surprised at how positive it was. At one, one point I heard the person who was in charge of that district talking to the fellow that went with me when we went this, these places. And he said, there, there is maybe one manager in South Australia that could do that what we're doing as well as I was doing. So that really made me feel good. It was a success. Mm. It really worked well. And I was lucky, sure luck that I did those slides because that helped me quite a bit. Uh -huh. And in your family, did they stay in one place and you traveled out for the day or did you typically go together uh, to these different No, places? I had, we had, um, accommodations in faculty housing for the University of South Australia. And they stayed there. My, my younger daughter went to elementary school and my older daughter went to high school. So they, we were in the community and they went to school and that was a great experience for them also. I, some of the things I did, I spoke to a conference of professional engineers while I was there. I spoke to a conference of local government officials in Perth, Western Australia. I toured Kangaroo Island. We spent a day on a huge farm or station that had raised sheep and hmm. it was lambing season. So we went out in the truck and when lambs were abandoned by their mother, we'd bring them in. It was 50,000 acres. Yeah. It was huge. 
Was the landscape like anything you knew from this country? Australia has a lot of outback, a lot of desert, and it's different. It looks different. It feels different. But we went to an opal mining village, I will say, in the outback where basically people who wanted to get away from child support and other problems would go out and this was a town of tin shacks and caves and the people lived in tin shacks and caves, but they had a school. The head of the school was a woman who had been a Hungarian paratrooper. They, the temperature got unbelievably hot during the the summer so that these people that lived there after they were mining for the day would go back into some kind of shade and put their feet in a tub of water and cover their head with a wet blanket just to avoid to get away from the heat. What I hear you saying is that some people that just needed to escape civil life, maybe they were from the law or from something else that they needed. It was a community where there were opals and they were mining opals. They had a school. Yeah. They had a police officer who I spoke to and I asked, he had an area of 40 to 50,000 square miles that he had to cover. He didn't have a plane. But there wasn't much there. So he was in Andamuka, which is the name of the town. And I asked him, how did he deal with that? And he yeah. said, the only thing he had to do basically was break up fights because all these miners knew exactly how many opals they all had. And they, there was a bank and a post office combined, but nobody much used the bank. And he said, if someone steals something, the miners take care of it themselves. I don't have to do anything. So that was interesting. So that reminds me of the Old West. Yeah, it was. Yes, that part really was like the Old West. Yeah. They don't have, I don't think they had guns, though. You didn't feel unsafe. Oh, no, never. No, Australia is a very civilized country, actually. I didn't, we never felt unsafe. Uh, Amazing story, Peter. I had it. One of the places we visited, I had a chance to bottle feed a baby wombat, which was fun. I don't even know what that is. Is that land or sea? Oh, that's land. (laughs) Look it up. (laughs) And I hand-fed wallabies and emus and koalas, which I really like. One of the interesting things on this, when we were in the outback, ran into this American family. They had moved to Australia and they were trying to farm in the outback and they had a few cows and they had dug a huge pond or lake, 20, I would say 10 feet, at least 10 feet deep. And I don't know how wide, but it was big and it was totally empty. They had a dock and it was just hanging in the air. It only rained five inches a year. And it rained when it rained, it would fill that huge lake. 
and they could use that for a year. All the other water in the outback was tanked in with tankers. So that was interesting. I don't know how they managed, but they did. I'm trying to remember, but there was a president of Smith College that wrote a memoir. She was from the outback in Australia, the author of The Road from Corain. I don't know if Corain rings a bell. No. Jill Kerr Conway. So Jill Kerr Conway describes in her memoir being raised in the outback. And how oh she comes to become president of Smith College is a fantastic story. But as you talk, I'm imagining these scenes where you said there's just so little rain and how people survive with those different expectations is, is really quite astounding. The only contrast to that in the outback was a mining, big it's mining operation and, and the mining company built a town and they used all of the gray and black water that was produced to landscape a little bit. And they had a um, football area, which was green, which was unique. They had a golf course, but there was not a blade of grass on the golf course. It, it was all sand and dirt and stones. Um, but they had it and they played it. Anyway, other than that, the outback's pretty barren, mm. pretty tough. And so you were in some urban areas or would you describe? Oh, yeah. Uh, what part yes. would be more urban-like that you were situated in? I was in all urban areas. I went okay. to the, the urban areas are along the coast primarily. And yeah, I was in Adelaide. Adelaide is a big city. Mm -hmm. Very nice. All the places. I was in mostly smaller towns, but there were a few mm -hmm. that were on the edge uh, of the outback, and they were interesting. Did uh, you come home with some sense of just maybe a different feeling about your work, that maybe there's something from Australia that gave you a different view? I did a lot more travel. And definitely concluded that local government in the United States is not the only local government in the world. Oh, it works. that's amazing you said that. I wasn't sure what you were going to say there, Peter. It's uh, not the best. It's, it's, they learned a lot from you, I'm sure. I'm sure you went over there. They obviously wanted to know what we were doing in the United States. And that is my question. There's probably some things that we can learn from other governments as well. I brought back a few ideas, especially from the Australian three months, some of which we tried and worked and other stuff. It was too expensive to do it. But basically, it gave me uh, a sense of the world. It gave me a sense that <laughs> we aren't necessarily the best in everything there is, far. I'm sorry, before you leave Australia, because I know we're going to get on to your other travels, I guess the what many of us hear about through the movies and so forth is just the indigenous people and sometimes the conflict within those communities between indigenous and European communities. Australia treated their uh, native people much like we treated the Indians and with the same kind of results, high alcoholism, 
homelessness. And they are dealing with it the same way we are. And um, yes, it's very similar. Very similar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you came back to Delaware and you had some time that to process everything you learned, but somehow you got another opportunity. I don't know if you're ready to transition to that, but no. I am curious, well, one like the, if you came back now, you're thinking what other one opportunities? Of the, one of the, yes, that's exactly right. One <laughs> of the things I did was join the ICMA International Committee, and that provided a bunch of opportunities. One of the things that I did almost as soon as I, I shouldn't say that, several months after I was back. I had the opportunity to exchange with the manager of Christchurch, England. And that was a reciprocal thing. I spent three weeks there. He spent three weeks with me in the United States. And, and that was interesting. One week was really working with him and saying what he did and how he did it. And one week was travel, actually, since. We, we traveled in London, and one week was attending the Solus Conference. Solus is the Society of Local Authority Chief Executives and Senior Managers. That's like the ICMA of uh, Great Britain. And we attended that. And that was, a, took my kids on that also. That was a fun experience. And we had him here. I actually did two of those. Sometime later, I exchanged with the manager of Bath, England. Oh, wow. And when you exchange, they provide you accommodations and you end up renting a car and spending time with them. And of course, my family went sightseeing. It was a great experience. It was yeah. really, very nice. Bath, um, England is like a top area to, to oh, visit. Yeah. I've been there myself and I can't imagine that must have been a real treat to see. It was. One of the things that happened the last week, we also went to the Solus Conference and that was in Northern Ireland, Belfast. Mm -hmm. They oh, had schedule, scheduled that when there was peace and the troubles were not active, but by the time the conference came around, the troubles were back again. And when we got there, we stayed in the most bombed hotel in the world at that time. And it was amazing. They had helicopters in the air, just stationary. They could then tell when a bomb went off or something happened, they could identify where it was so that the troops could respond immediately. And that was a little weird having the, and it was way up. It was outside of the range of their weapons, the IRA weapons. And two, two police officers were assassinated while we were there coming out of police street. And also we were walking down the street and an alarm went off in a business. And a few minutes later, two armored cars rushed up and troops got out and that's the kind of thing that and, and they had if you took your car on a road they would stop you and then check under your car for bombs with mirrors 
before you could go on. It was a different environment up there, uh, but it was interesting I mean, for us. Wow. So their conference moved around much like ICMA moves around. Yes. And it just happened yes. to be up there. It was in a conference center. We've since been back to Belfast and it, they have a great city hall mm-hmm. and we toured the city hall and a bunch of facilities, but it was in a conference center and it was the English in their conferences are very formal. They wear taxes. And so I had to run a tox in order to go. <laughs> and, wow. Uh, they were, they're much more formal than we are in every way. For example, the mayor of, I think it was Christchurch, was a clerk in the government. He was elected mayor, and as mayor, he was given a, a driver, a chauffeur, and a car, and he was addressed as mayor, not by his name. You, you never address the mayor by his or her name. Anyway, that was just a couple differences. Mm-hmm. It was much more form. Mm-hmm. Another difference which was interesting, and this was true in Adelaide, it was true in uh, some of the other councils that we went to, but in Adelaide, before a council meeting, the council met and had a catered dinner before their regular council meetings. And then afterwards, they had a room with a bar, mm-hmm. and they would go and after the meeting, have drinks and socialize. And, I, I got to uh, think that had a positive effect. Oh, I think it did. I do. Yeah. And and a number of the, the councils where we were had, had a bar and did the same. They did the same thing. Much different than us. So, Peter, they, those were two different trips, one to Christchurch and one to Bath, England. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And those and were I, through the ICMA, I think is what you're saying. And that was a more formal application. You now were clued in to what you yeah. might want to do. And so yeah. you took the initiative to apply. And I imagine the trip to Australia made you a great candidate just in terms of your success. Oh, probably. I, they, we went to places as part of the international committee too, which I liked. We went back to England and visited several different councils to see how they manage their public housing, their workforce housing, their Hmm. reasonably priced housing. And they do a good job, a great job at that. That was one, another trip we went to. Mexico, mm-hmm. and met with the Mexican managers at their annual meeting, and I addressed them, which was interesting. And another interesting fact there, after that, se- after that session, and we were going back to Guadalajara, where we were staying, mm-hmm. we stopped off in a little town just to rest, get something to drink. And I went by myself and I was sitting at a little outdoor restaurant having a Coke on a dirt road. And three guys, big guys in suits came walking down the, the street. And here, it was the governor of Pennsylvania, two bodyguards. Oh, That's great. On the, an economic development mission. It happened oh, to be in this God. little at the same time I did. 
Oh, that's which, amazing. So was you fun. had a conversation? Yeah, very brief, but yeah. yeah. And I, I really am curious, I don't know what decade this would be that we're talking about, but if you were, how you were received, and we've gone through a lot of changes in our international relations over the last 20 years. Is it before that? Would it have been? It, it, Australia started in 83. Okay. And these took place until, oh boy, um, Early 2000s, maybe. Okay, so there was some early 2000s. I think you, I read in your notes somewhere that when, and you're going to talk about that here when you went to Russia, I think that was early no, 2000s. I went to Japan. I did not go to Russia. Oh, I was thinking you went I, to Georgia. I, I, okay. I went to Georgia. Okay. And that's a different trip that that's was done, that related to ICMA. I see. Just to go on, I don't know how the time is, but. We're fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Okay. You let me know. I got selected through ICMA by CLARE, which is a Japanese organization. It's the Council for Local Authorities for International Relations for a 16-day trip to Japan, fully paid. And I was able to take my wife on that. And that was a very interesting experience. Uh, we, there were probably six managers who were selected for that, maybe seven. And we all flew to San Francisco and we had a, a dinner in a Japanese restaurant with some clear people and got oriented that way. Then we flew to Tokyo and from Tokyo, we had... They oriented us on some of the cultural norms that we had to know about and pay attention to. And then we went our separate ways. I went to a city called Hasada City. That was where I, that was my base in the beginning. And when we flew into Tokyo, we were met by two people, a translator, a younger woman, and our host driver, who was a public servant from the city of Hasada, and they were with us the entire 16 days. And they were great. They were really nice people. And we had a very nice relationship with them. We were driving towards Hasada city and it was around noon. And they said, would you like to stop for lunch at a famous eel restaurant? We said, sure, let's stop at an eel restaurant. So we stopped at an eel restaurant and were served barbecued eel. Mm. And it was very good, by the uh, way. Some people and, love eel. I know that. Yeah, it's more common today. <laughs> and after we were done, they wanted to show us the kitchen. So they gave us a tour of the kitchen where they were preparing these eels. And when we left, all of the kitchen staff and all of the Wolverine staff, lined up outside and we walked from, they lined up from our car to their door and we walked. Why do you suppose that was? Very was, respectful. Very what, respectful. Is it because they knew you were visitors? I don't, to the the I don't yeah. know how that happened. I have no mm -hmm. idea, but it was impressive. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I'm just then, curious if it's like, because there's visitors from another country. They don't or do it, 
they don't do it with everybody. Mm. Sure, what they did, they were told who we were, and we were being funded by the Japanese government, and we were mm. important. And they were very respectful. That then, must have been quite a feeling for you. Oh, oh it was. <laughs> then we drove to Hasada City, to the city hall, and the council and the mayor and a professional photographer and videographer met us and they gave my wife flowers and we went inside and we were introduced to everybody. And then we went up and met with the council and the mayor, mayoress woman, and they gave us kimonos, gifts, and I had gifts that I gave them also. So we did that. And technically, the purpose of our visit was to meet with local, mostly staff and council to help them figure out how to get more public participation in their meetings. That was the official reason. And we did, I did meet with them and we did talk about that. But really, the whole thing was really to build uh, a good feeling towards Japan because mm -hmm. we did some amazing things and saw the country. And I mean, Were just, you impressed, Peter? Would you say the visit uh, opened your eyes in some ways to the culture of Japan? Yeah, I learned something about the culture of Japan that I didn't know before. And we did things. We went... Some of the things we did, we went to a university because we came from University City. We went to a, a large university and visited there. And the thing that struck me more than anything else was that this university where we have lawn areas and very well-kept green areas, they didn't do that. They let their lawn areas and the green areas just grow. Now, I don't know if that was all year or what, but it was certainly different than what we were here. We went to an elementary school and found that the students, the ele elementary students, when they went to school, they changed their shoes from outdoor shoes to school shoes and put their shoes in a big rack. And they clean the school at the end of the day. The students clean the school at the end of the day. That's different. Um, which differs. Yeah. Trying yeah. to have that happen in this country would be a disaster. Went to a high school. We were serenaded by their orchestra and met with class and teachers. And same thing. They didn't I don't think they cleaned the school. I'm not sure about that, but they did change shoes. And we stayed with the manager and his family, the, man, the, the manager of Hasada City, in his home and slept on mats on the floor, which is how they slept, and changed shoes when we got in. And then you also had to change your shoes before you went into the bedroom or went into the bathroom. And the bathroom was an interesting experience because when you went in into the bathroom, I'm talking about taking a shower. You had to take a shower, but then you got in this 
big tub and they didn't change the water in the tub. They let us, because we were visitors, they let us in first. But everyone used the same water, which is why you took a bath, a shower before you went in. Because we didn't know any of that. We learned it. But we ate with them and had a great time with them. Everywhere we went in Japan was first class. The hotels were first class. Everything was really, they went overboard to make it nice. It's crowded. Japan is a crowded place and are very urban. Although we did going to the the university, we did pass uh, farms and things of that nature. Went to a fair, a local fair, which was fun. Went to the fish market five o'clock in the morning. We went into the Tokyo fish market, which was unbelievable. They had every kind of living creature from the ocean and it was really amazing. And, and tuna, which is very important in Japan, they auctioned the tuna. They had a grandstand and they laid the tuna, big line of tuna and people went around and they auctioned. You could see that in Lancaster with the livestock at the markets, similar. Yeah. Kind of idea. Went to a traditional tea ceremony. Went to an art exhibit. And then at the end, took the bullet train to Tokyo from Osaka City. What was that? Yeah. Just, I, I love trains. You have to say a word about that. It was that like it's, any other train, just. No, passed. it's the fastest thing you were ever on that across land. I mean, it was fast. It was nothing like we have. Our trains crawl compared to what. What they were doing, very sleek, very fast. Then at the end, we went to a place called Kashida City. There was a meeting there with mayors and mayors. Let me see if I can remember. Chamber of Commerce directors, Mm -hmm. U.S. Western cities. San Francisco, Seattle, Los Angeles, on the Pacific Rim that had economic dealings with Japan and they had an annual conference and we went to that conference and they marched in. Each city had a big sign. We marched in for state college out of sync, but we participated fully and they had big meal just Station after station, this meal was delicious. We went through that and that was interesting. And that was the last thing we did. We flew out uh, and flew back. But that was three weeks of very interesting Japanese experience. It's really remarkable. If I go back to my notes, uh, so there was this trip then to Georgia. Is that right? Yeah, I'll tell you about that. Okay. I, and, I, and how I that did, came about. Yeah, there's a couple other things that I'll, I'll just mention. I was invited to speak in London to a conference of the Association of Direct Labor Organizations. And mm-hmm. uh, when Thatcher was prime minister, they radically changed local government. And local government was required to bid 
almost every function it had, transportation, reception desk, almost everything. And so they set up, each local government set up a department that did nothing but bid on the work that they were supposed to be. And so when you went over there, were you experimenting with some of that in State College? No. Okay. They wanted me to speak on cost saving, the same thing that I had been uh -huh. speaking to, cost saving and what local governments could do to save money because they were bidding yeah. these jobs and they thought I could help them figure out some ways to save money. I don't know but, if I did. But it wasn't, your answer wasn't to bid it out. <laughs> no, that's, they did. Do yeah. that, and they saved the pile of money doing it. Yeah. But it also was very disruptive for the local government. Yeah, yeah. I so saw it's another. That's another conversation. But it's just interesting from your perspective that you you weren't necessarily going over there and singing the same tune that they. No, it, make, no it wasn't exactly the same. No, yeah. I fashioned it so that it would work with that group. Sure. And Georgia, you wanted to know about Georgia? Yeah, I do. I was invited by the Georgian Institute of Public Affairs Graduate School of Public Administration to teach graduate, graduate class for a month. And, and so I went over with my wife to Georgia, which was a whole other experience. Georgia is relatively poor. It was the breadbasket of Russia and the Soviet Union, but they were out of there and they were now independent when you went over. They were independent, yes. Yeah. And I I did that. We traveled a little, and I had a car and a driver, and we went to an opera, and we traveled in areas of Georgia. I taught, and it was a very interesting cultural experience for us. Yeah, you were uh, inland. Yeah. I'm looking at the map now. I just pulled that up. So Tbilisi. 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 Yes, that, That's yeah. more of an inland as opposed to along the Black Sea. No, it was inland. Yes. Was it industrial? Was it at all? Or how would you describe the economy? That's a good question. It was a good-sized city. It was the capital city. It was commerce. I don't know about an industrial base. I, I mm -hmm. can't say that I ever saw anything mm -hmm. there. Uh, but you lectured. You were there to, to give some presentations. Yes. and Yes. I lectured, uh, taught graduate school for a month. One of the things, an interesting little vignette, we went to, and I can't remember the name of the town. It was a historic Georgian village town. Mm -hmm. They had, the Russians had a, communist headquarters there and the Georgians took that over and made it into a museum and they one of the things we saw there we went through the museum and saw it and here there was a professor from Penn State who was taught museum and whatever they teach who was helping them do it so we met him there which was that's like meeting the governor of Pennsylvania now you're in Georgia you run into a Penn State. Oh, that's funny. But I, we did that. And then the next year, ICMA hired me to go back to Georgia mm -hmm. 
to do some preliminary consulting, they were trying to, they were going to make a presentation to USAID and they needed background and they needed information. So they sent me over with a guy from ICMA and we spent three weeks or so going around to all the nonprofits and agencies that were, would be involved in its application. And that was also very interesting. I saw quite a bit of Tbilisi and you say you were getting some information. Were there just the best that you can say from this viewpoint years later? Were they getting development monies? Um, they they or... were getting USAID monies to help them in a variety of areas. Uh, USAID was in their state finance department working there. I am not 100%. I can't recall what area we were actually, they were actually going to uh, yeah. apply for an AID yeah. money. It's interesting. Anyway, that you, was... Uh, I guess one of the things that comes to my mind that I'd like to ask you, because ICMA is, uh, I was just at the APMM Executive Development Conference, and a representative from ICMA from the Northeast region was there and was talking to the managers about the reinvigoration of the international focus. And I wondered if your experience in working with the International Committee of ICMA, if you recall any sort of express objectives, was it to expand membership? Was it to be just engaged in other, with other governments to learn? And I just curious if you recall when you were involved at that committee, what the objectives or mission was? Sure. I think they were twofold. First of all, to be engaged. Uh, I didn't mention one trip uh, we took. We went to Jamaica and met with all the uh, governing folks for the Caribbean islands and the University of Jamaica. And that was another trip that I, that I failed to mention. Some of the trips were more for sharing information, making contact. Some of them were for re receiving information, learning some things. For example, the public housing trip, that was to get information on workforce housing and how they did it in Great Britain and England. Uh, the Japanese trip, that was basically to build relationship between U.S. and Japan, the Australian trip, uh, I presented. That, that was us giving them information about the United States and local government in the United States more than it was anything else. When I taught, that was right. given. So it was a combination. Yeah, and I think about the academic models because in the academic world, there this is a tradition of exchange. Mm -hmm. And and I like this idea. I think that's where you and I started talking and I learned about your travel because I've been trying to do more conversations in our podcast just from, a, I say across the pond, but actually it's throughout Europe. And to me, it is helpful to see what we do through another, from another viewpoint. And 
A, maybe what we're doing is the same struggles they have, or B, maybe there's just a completely different way of thinking about it. Those are two interesting angles to me. And Mm -hmm. so I, in today's environment, just if you could express your thoughts or philosophy about why managers might want to think about these type of opportunities. And of course, ICMA is one avenue, but I would love to explore with you some ideas about other avenues to accomplish that. Sure. First of all, I, after my experiences, I encouraged people who worked for me take advantage of any opportunities. And I had a couple that did. The public works director at State College that went to Hungary uh, and went to some of the other Baltic countries and spent a lot of time through the American Public Works Association. They had a similar program and he took great advantage of that, which was good. Mm-hmm. I, I think that I had a whole other education with this travel. I learned a new perspective that I really hadn't been exposed to before. And it's, it gives you a new understanding about different cultures, different people, some of the same problems that we have, they have. Some places have problems that are much, much worse. Some places have no money to do the things that they would like to do. It's just, it, it's an education, a real education. Yeah. It gives you a perspective that unless you do that, you will never have. Yeah. I, I think of the word infuse. It inf- can infuse you with some new, maybe it's curiosity, but also just a kind of joy in this experiencing something quite different. For instance, I remember traveling to France in the back roads and the villages and being just like, how is it that they have these small businesses? Right. Mm-hmm. And there are people that you there, they're, they live upstairs or, and they're running these shops and they seem to be doing just fine. And that curiosity led me to understand something about France, which is different from the United States. And you can argue any way you want. All I know is that experience in those small towns is something we don't have here. Maybe there have been in the past, but we don't have that kind of small town culture. You wouldn't see a McDonald's anywhere near some of these towns. Right. That's That's changing. (laughs) But it's been to France. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) That's just an example. You, the local government's so fascinating when you travel because you think about how does this town. Run this way in Spain at the the plazas where everybody gathers for coffee. It's the town center. I I I just find that fascinating. A difference. Life is a little slower. I've noticed mm-hmm. in all the places I've been, and money is not doesn't seem to be as important. Yeah. People survive on less than they. For example, Tbilisi farmers used to commit and set up on a corner with. Strawberry season, they have piles of strawberries. It's, they don't, they're not frantic. We're more frantic about it. our life than they are. And I like it. It's like we used to be. Yeah. Maybe the 40s and the, not the 40s, the 50s. Yeah. Uh, 60s and before that. But 
Yeah, I know what you're talking about, and yeah. I agree. Wonder if there could be exchange. This is my sort of fantasy: is that there could be exchange programs that just come out of the relationships. That if we could do local government, I know cities do this. They have sisters cities, yeah, uh, and that's the right. That's the idea. But even on a more informal level, introducing people to the academics do this, for instance. So academics do house trades. I know ministers do that. They, I had minister friends who exchange. I don't know why local government could not have something like that that's just a little more informal but allows people to explore and experience and this another place in the seat of local government. Yeah. Yeah, they probably could. Managers here are pretty busy. Yeah. And consuls, I was fortunate. I was a manager of a university town. Newark, Delaware for 13 years and 17 years in State College. And both of those councils were used to training and travel. And so that made it Ah, easier for me than it might be for somebody else. That's the model. And with the question that I didn't want to interrupt you, but the question I think the audience might want to know as they were listening, when you were three months in Australia, who was in your seat? Did you have an assistant? Oh, yeah. I had several assistants, but one a senior assistant was put in charge and they paid her uh, a little bit more, not enough, but they paid her a little more. Uh, actually, they took $500 out of my pay and gave it to her, which wasn't enough to get to for three months. But yes, there was plenty of people that could take over uh, Newark, Delaware mm. for me. And would you say that travel is one of the highlights of your career, Peter? Oh, yes. No question about it. That gave me a whole other sphere of experience. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely. uh, It was a whole different education for me. Yeah. I could sit and listen to your travel stories on and on, and I could do that with others who have traveled and through the lens of local government. I just find it to be enriching. I'm glad we stumbled on this conversation because I knew as soon as we started talking, oh my gosh, that's what I want to do a podcast episode about because I think we all want to be Peter Marshall. We all want those experiences and really fell into it. (laughs) should take it. Yeah, yeah. I was very lucky, but the one thing I did do is when an opportunity showed up, I jumped at it. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's remarkable, going back to the beginning, you didn't actually come from a background where it was like a logical sort of choice. It was something that must have been in you that you were just willing to go and experience something new. And that says something about you. Yeah. That's nice that you're doing this. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I would love to do it again with you, Peter. Thank you so much for your time. I need to cover everything. Oh, oh man. We have to come back then. It was just a, a real joy to have you on the show. Thanks so Thanks much, Peter. We'll see Take you later. Care. Bye-bye.